0: Thank you all for joining today. My name is Danielle Dowra, and today I'm interviewing Claire Colbert. Claire is founder and specialist mediator at Family Mediation and Mentoring in the UK. She's an accredited family mediator, qualified child-inclusive mediator, and hybrid mediator with a distinction in couples and family therapy diploma. Claire has over 20 years' experience as a specialist family lawyer. She's authored various books, including Which Guide to Divorce and Splitting Up in 2010 and Which Divorce Guide in 2015. Claire is also co-chair of the Resolution Parenting After Parting Committee, which is made up of a group of family justice professionals, lawyers, mediators, therapists, and coaches from around the UK. As part of her work with this committee, she's developed the Free Parenting Through Separation Guide, which I've linked in the comments which I have linked in the description of this podcast. So without further ado, let's get to the questions. You can be just like me. Your double. All you
1: have to do is ask to see your family. You have so much to say.
0: Um, So Claire, you have spent over 20 years as a family lawyer. What made you make the transition to mediation and to establish the family mediation and mentoring?
1: So as a, a family lawyer, I was sometimes very frustrated by the court process and how positional it could make parents because going to court, you both have to have a corner that you're fighting. And the court process can take a really long time. It can cost a lot of money because you're often having several court hearings to get to a resolution. And I'd quite often find that at the end of that process, parents would end up with a solution we talked about right at the beginning, but we just hadn't been able to get to for whatever reason for some block in the road. And having trained as a mediator, I could see in mediation meetings that parents were able to get to that solution together much quicker and keeping some control of the process without that that time delay, without that cost, and enabling them to both make decisions that were in the best interest of their children or their family. And so I decided that it was time for for me to to say, okay, I want to specialise just in mediation because although I'd been doing about half-half for a number of years, The the, the half that was going off to court was frustrating me a lot. And actually, that was quite a hard mindset to jump from court into mediation the next afternoon or the next day. And so I decided that's it. I I want to focus purely on the mediation. Um, and a colleague was leaving at the same time as me, and we agreed that setting up the business was the right time, um, and that we would do that in the hope that we could move forward the mediation platform, and and give it a bit of a um, a gravitas um, in that we could use the experience as family lawyers to encourage people to try and come to resolutions, explaining to them what the court process is like and why it isn't this perfect solution or this magic wand that I think some, sometimes people think it is.
0: I think, I think that's great and, and so much needed in today's world, around around the world, actually. And I know you're also co-chair of the Resolution Parenting After Parting Committee. Um, I would love if you could tell us a bit more about the work you do through that committee, um, any publications you've developed or resources you've developed for families.
1: Absolutely. So so there's an organization um, in England and Wales called Resolution, which is a group of family law professionals who for a number of years have worked under this membership to try and work under the basis of putting families first. And the majority of of good family lawyers are members um, and come to the training that Resolution do and are part of this organisation. It used to be called the Solicitors Family Law Association a long time ago without showing my age. Um, And then in terms of Resolution, there are lots of different committees with different focuses. And I've been part of the Parenting After Parting Committee for a number of years and been co-chair for the last two And that committee is really about what can we do both for parents and professionals to make sure that children are the centre of all of their decisions and all of their thoughts once they decide to separate, be that married or or not married. And with the work that we've been doing, it's about educating family professionals to make sure that where their their thought might be, well, what's going to happen with the money and what's going to happen with the house? Their first thought is what's going to happen about the children and how can we make this as 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 easy a process as we can it's never going to be an overnight process it's never going to be you know straight away easy or simple but how can we make it as palatable as we can and how can we prevent any harm to the children and so the committee has done a lot of work over the years um, preparing publications writing articles doing training courses for family lawyers And in the last few years, we're really proud of the work that the committee have done, particularly last year, um, having spent a lot of uh, lockdown in this country preparing a booklet for parents, um, a separated parents guide. And that guide talks parents through what they might see in their children when they decide to separate, how they can talk to their children about separation, about how children might react at different ages, about things that they should think about when they separate, including the children, about where to get information, where to get advice, how to make those decisions, the kind of things they need to think about, and the different routes and options for coming up with conclusion on issues. And that that we hope is a really, really valuable resource for parents. And it's a free download. You can buy it as a, a booklet as well, but it's also a free download that's there and available for anyone to, to access. And so that's something we're really, really proud of. Um, and this year, part of the work we're doing is creating a new downloadable parenting plan for parents, again, that they'll be able to access hopefully later this year, um, that they can jump online, they can download the parenting plan, they can work on it together, they can work it on mediation, they can work on it with their lawyers, they can work on it, you know, however they want to, to come up with solutions that hopefully keep children right at the centre and keep the parents being able to make the, the positive decisions for their children in otherwise very difficult Circumstances where we we might find ourselves wanting to war with the other parent, and actually, what we're always trying to do is put the children first, not the children in the middle.
0: Perfect. So, for anybody listening that might be interested in the first publication, the guide that you mentioned that's already been published, we'll go ahead and add the link to the description of this podcast so so everybody can access it very easily.
1: That's fantastic.
0: Great. So, I would love if you could tell us a bit more about the work you do at Family Mediation and Mentoring and. For example, what is the typical family you work with? If you are court appointed or people voluntarily
1: seek your services? Yeah, so so mediation um, in England and Wales is voluntary. It it can't be court ordered, and so we are a, a voluntary option for any family. And the type of work we do at Family Mediation and Mentoring is working with uh, couples or families who are separating or separated to help them resolve any issues surrounding their separation with a, a, a legal uh, instance. So, for example, it might be um, what they do about their house, what they do about their pension, how they divorce. So the divorce law has changed in, in this country this year to a no-fault system. So, how do they deal with that? Uh, what do they do about splitting up their bank accounts? How do they manage their bills if one person had been paying one and had one had been paying another? And another large part of what we do is how do they deal with the arrangements for their children post-separation and how might those change? So maybe they've been separated for several years, but the children's needs have changed or the children have changed school or somebody's moved. And so we can look at any family law issues and help a couple or a family um, come together to come up with solutions. And the mentoring part of what we do is we work with family law professionals, um, family lawyers, Helping them work out what they do as a family lawyer and how they deal with the challenges of being a family lawyer.
0: Great, and I know that you use two unique models and high, a hybrid model and a child-inclusive mediation models. Um, it would be great if you could walk us through these models, what a typical mediation looked like, looks like using these models, and how they potentially can be used to deal with uh, situations where there's concerns about alienation.
1: Yes, yeah, so. so The traditional mediation model uh, here is the two parties, so the two parents coming together and meeting with a mediator, either online, which has been really popular in recent years, unsurprisingly, um, but I was doing online before COVID, but coming together, discussing the solutions, the mediator facilitating those discussions, giving legal information, but not legal advice to help them model appropriate solutions for their children. And lots of lots of couples found that very difficult, um, emotionally challenging and you know, got quite a physical reaction to having to confront somebody that they're separating for from. Um, and so the hybrid model has um you know moved over to this country and been something that's now starting to become more widespread. There's there's still only a, a small amount of hybrid mediators trained here, but that's growing, which is great. And the hybrid model allows that traditional role of a couple coming to a mediator to look at the legal options to move to a situation where they come to the mediation with their lawyers. And so the, the two lawyers will come with the two parents and the mediator and have an opportunity to discuss it with their lawyers here so their lawyer can help them and support them, but also to break out and have separate rooms where they can get legal advice. Where they can get support from their lawyer. The hybrid model also enables the lawyers lawyers to to talk to to me as mediator about what they think might be a solution and explore solutions with me without me having to go over and exchange up with the other other parent just yet. And what that does is give a nice, comfortable solution, but quite a quick solution. So a hybrid model can be done in the course of a morning or an afternoon or a day. And at the end of that that meeting, as 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 the meeting. Progresses, if we come up with a solution, the lawyers can draft that into a parenting plan or a court order at the end of the morning or the day. And so it gives a very quick solution to an otherwise situation where the parents felt that they just couldn't talk to each other and they had to go to court and they could spend anywhere from six months to, to 24 months in a court system trying to get to a resolution. But having the support of that lawyer, particularly perhaps where there's been some form of domestic violence or some coercive control, having the lawyer there gives those parents still the opportunity to come up with a solution that's right for their children with the children in the centre. The other... um, model you mentioned, the child inclusive model is something I'm really passionate about. And that's about giving an opportunity for a child to talk to me as a child inclusive trained mediator. And it's about the child having an opportunity to talk to me about what they think works and what they think doesn't work. So it's not them saying, I want to live with mum or I want to live with dad, or I don't love mum as much as I love dad, or I pick one over the other. It's about them having a voice in the process rather than the choice in the process. And that's giving them an opportunity to have a little bit of a say, um, which might only be something really small. It might be about, you know, d- does uh, does a drop-off or a pickup happen at 6 or 6.30? Does it happen at school or does it happen uh, at McDonald's down the road? You know, what, what do they find really difficult? Do they like it that their bag moves with them or would they prefer mum and dad move the bag? And just the really small practical things that sometimes children feed back to me to say... This isn't working for me. This is why it's not working. And I can listen. And as long as the child gives consent, I can feed that back to the parents. And the parents then have an opportunity to try and improve that. And I quite often talk to, to children about that being a bit like an opportunity to give mum and dad a school report. You know, what's mum or dad doing really well at the minute? And what could they improve? Um, if we were giving them praise, what would he give them praise for? And, and what would we say that there's some work to be done? And as parents, we don't often get that. we we sometimes get some some feedback from our children, but not necessarily understanding why. And so the child inclusive meeting gives us an opportunity for the child to talk completely. Freely to an impartial, independent mediator who isn't judging, who isn't going to tell them they're right or wrong, who isn't going to feed anything back to their parents they don't want fed back. But then giving the parents the power to have that information to make positive change that's child-focused. Um, so right again, putting the children first rather than in the middle. And and that model works very well, particularly when we have parents that are stalemates. So we have one parent who thinks. The solution they have said is absolutely perfect for the child um, and the other parent thinking the opposite of that. And actually the child say, well, I quite like a bit of both or I quite like what mom suggested for, for in term time, but I quite like what dad suggested for for in holidays. And that isn't asking them to pick between a parent, but that's asking them to say, okay, well, what works and why does it work? Um, And I I will only meet with children who have the ability to have those meetings without feeling pressure from it. And so it's making sure that it's the right model for the right children, but also they're at the right age. So we'd normally say over the age of 10. Uh, If they have younger siblings and sometimes a sibling might want to come along so that they feel they have a voice too. But if not, we're looking really at the child having an opportunity to just say, "Okay, this is good or or, I'd like it better if we could do it this way. Um, And then the parents don't have to agree. You know, sometimes children come up with some brilliant models, but that practically just don't work. And so we we then have to feed back to parents and parents have to listen to what the children have to say, but go, oh, do you know what? We wouldn't be able to do our jobs if we came up with that model, you know, handing over at midday every day. It just wouldn't work. But how about we come up with a solution that recognises that desire, recognises the children's wish to have that factored in somewhere. And we'll try and make that work on a Saturday or we'll try and make that work in holidays. Um, and, And that's that's a model that we've really found keeps the co-parenting relationship working at its best, and making sure that the children have a voice in the process.
0: So I just love how you are helping children have a voice through this process and ensure that that voice is heard. And I think that is so important that children are often left out of process, this process and situation that actually really affects them mostly. So I, I really, really do that. That is amazing work for your you're doing. Um, I wonder if you could talk about why it is important to, to have that intervention early on and to ensure the child's perspective is taken into consideration early on in, in divorce proceedings rather than too late. Again, especially if we're dealing with alienation.
1: And I guess Sometimes the the time that can pass between an initial decision to separate and any decision being made, it can actually be the most toxic because in that period of time, People are trying to prove that they're right and might be saying things to a child to help them win the child over, not thinking that they're doing any harm by doing that, but thinking that, well, if I don't like him or her, as in the other parent, then I I don't want the child to to like them too. I want them on my side. And actually we're doing the most possible harm we can do to children when we we try and alienate them against the other parent, because there is so much research and uh, so much information out there that shows that actually what we're doing to children is making them question themselves and and their self-worth and their self-esteem. Children see themselves as made up as as an equal package of mum and dad in the majority of of cases. And then when they hear one parent saying bad things about the other parent or, or being asked to pick they're being told that the part of them isn't good, isn't kind, isn't nice, is unpleasant, isn't someone you'd want to spend time with. And in doing that, that that child is then internalizing that and thinking, OK, well, I've got to be more like the other parent or I've got to exclude that parent, the, the bad parent. And actually, it's really important for children to have quality relationship with both parents unless there's a risk of harm. So harm, completely different. And, and that's not what I'm talking about here if the children are being put at risk. But instead, in the majority of family situations, having a good relationship with both parents is the model that that children need to have the best, secure, stable base. And there's so much research about that. And that's where the earlier we can get that co-parenting relationship working and the child focus and the child being first, the better we have that chance of of that relationship continuing and those parents being able to co-parent for the rest of the child's life. Because although we talk about children being under the age of 18, actually, we are going to be parents for the rest of our lives. And when those children are making decisions in their adult life and wanting to turn back and ask parents for advice or support, we don't want them having to pick which parent they ask. We want them to be able to go back to those co-parents and ask them together for their support together, and and ask them that you know to, to help together. And that might be that they the parents have to work together to give that help. Um, and by giving them that secure base, by knowing that that both parents might not love each other anymore, but still love the children, and the children don't have to pick, means that actually we're setting them up the best we possibly can, uh, rather than the opposite of that, which is making the child think they have to pick making the child think the other parent isn't a good parent and reflecting that on themselves. And then in later life, questioning that and then starting to resent the parents that, that's done the alienation um, and then not being there who they believe or who they trust and thinking they can't turn to either parent. And, and that's leaving a child in a situation where they haven't got that secure base. They haven't got the role modeling of, of how to behave as good adults, as, of how to communicate. And instead, they're struggling in the world. So, so we've got a really good opportunity here to, to make that work. Uh, and to work well if we start early. There is some brilliant research around um, and a great book um, by Nadine Burke about the ACE factors and uh, her book's called The Deepest Well. And that talks a lot about when there, there has been all kinds of of um ACE factors in a child's life. And one of them is a divorce or separation and, and how parents deal with that. And that doesn't have to be an ACE factor. So it can be that if we deal with our, our separation or our divorce well, that that doesn't become something that's going to cause greater emotional harm to our child in, in their adult life or physical harm, because the research suggests that there can be links between uh, d- diabetes heart disease long term health conditions just by parents not having modeled that well and that being another factor in a child's life that means that actually the way they deal with stress the way they manage things that, that they, they put themselves at greater physical risk in terms of health and as parents we would never pick that for our children and if that knowledge is there then actually Mediation stepping in early, talking to parents about how they can do it positively, obviously helps children. And and that's what the point is.
0: I know that you mentioned that in the UK and Wales, uh, mediators are not court appointed. In in other countries such as the US, uh, they are. They can be court appointed. And I hear a lot from from parents um, who have court appointed mediators or sometimes called reunification therapists, that it can be very challenging when the other parent doesn't want to be there, or sometimes even sabotaging the entire process. So I'm going to assume that you've dealt with some parents who are not necessarily fully invested in mediation, who may change their mind mediation. How do you deal with that as a professional?
1: So a lot of the time, the things I was just talking about are where I I spend my energies and my efforts. If I have a parent who doesn't seem to be very engaged, is looking to undermine the co-parenting relationship, is perhaps looking to alienate the other parent from the child's life, then I will spend a lot of time talking about the work that I've done in, uh, as part of the Parenting Auto Command- Parting Committee and also the research that there is about the impact of this. Because sometimes what we think we're doing in you know to try and get what we want, we do blinkered to what impact it's having on others around us, and most importantly, the children. And so uh, in my professional role, I'm I'm not there to judge as a mediator, and I'm not there to arbitrate. So I don't make any decisions. I don't tell people what they they should or shouldn't do. But instead, I gave them the information that will hopefully guide them to the, the right process, to the right decisions. And to the decisions that will be best for their family. And if there is a parent who then isn't doing what could be best for a child and the other parent is flagging up these concerns, then that information can sometimes just make somebody sit up and go, oh, hang on a minute, maybe this isn't good. And they might not admit it in the mediation process, but we might see some changes in behaviour and we might see that I might say, well, you know, children might react like this. And they say, ah, my child has reacted like that, or maybe I am doing that, or maybe I need to stop. And obviously the more we can do to stop that, the better.
0: Absolutely. And I think I think you're absolutely right. It's 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 about educating them, giving them the awareness they need early on so they realize the effect
1: it has on their children. Mm. Before that behavior becomes too entrenched. I mean, sometimes it's a pattern of behavior that just becomes learned and and breaking that becomes much harder the longer it's gone on for.
0: I also really admire the work you do at Family Mediation Mentoring. Um, around capacity building and systematic change. So obviously, mediation services to a family is one part of the component, but this is this is a wider system um, with many different professionals and stakeholders, and it's very important that change happens across the system. So, can you tell me a bit more why you think it's important to be training professionals? Regarding you know your services and why mediation is is so important and needs to be child inclusive and hybrid.
1: So, so we've done lots of training um, since we opened for family lawyers and family professionals across the country to give them the information and support so that they can feel really confident in discussing mediation as an option with their clients. And I've been a family lawyer. I know what it's like. I I know when you've got those court deadlines, I know the pressure, I know the struggle and the focus of, of, of getting to court. And sometimes that blinkers you to think about, well, is there a way out? Is there another option? Because that court deadline of doing something is what, as a lawyer, you're really focusing on. And so a lot of the training we do is about, okay, well, when could you jump off? How easy would it be to jump out? Could we jump out at the beginning before we've even started that court process off? or could we jump out before a hearing you know are there options that would that would work would be safe would be a good model that would give the child a voice or would make somebody feel safe by having their lawyer there And giving the lawyers the confidence to discuss those options, because if they're not a a mediator, and and many lawyers are trained as mediators as well, but if they're not, then mediation might feel a really alien, fluffy, oh, I'm not sure about that, it's going off for a bit of counselling. And quite often people ring us up and say, well, is that marriage guidance? absolutely not what we do. And and for the lawyers, helping them to know what we do and how we do it and and what our role is, and that we're not trying to step on their role, but it's a very different role, but they still have a role, gives them some confidence, gives them some some perception about mediation that helps them explain it to their clients better. Because sometimes, you you know, completely understandably, in that situation, a person's first thought is, I need to get a lawyer. And they go to their lawyer before they go to anybody else. And if that lawyer is somebody who is very litigious and has always been in the court environment, and that's what they know, and that's what they do, mediation might not spring to mind. They, they, they might just think, OK, well, these are the, the steps we've got to go through, and this is what will happen. And actually educating those lawyers that there are other routes that are going to be better for the children, better for the family unit, better for the co-parenting arrangement, helps those lawyers to then go, oh, OK, well, I, I know I've got to do the right thing for my client, and I do my gut instinct has always been to go to court, but I've been through the court process. I know how long it takes. I know how much it costs. I've just heard about this option that's called hybrid mediation that would give you the lawyer support you need, but help you come to a resolution quicker and cheaper. Or I've just been to a training course where they've talked about child-inclusive mediation that will give your child a voice instead of perhaps it taking a year and a half, two years to come to a solution by which time the child is older and has had too, too much alienation go on or difficulties in dealing with the the separation because the parents haven't and so that training piece, training lawyers about the different options, about when they're a good idea or not, because there are some situations where mediation just can't work. So, so where there has been abuse, for example, or where one parent just isn't able to to manage the process, and even having a lawyer there isn't going to be enough. They, they need more than that. They're at risk either physically or emotionally. Then they need to be able to go, okay, no, do you know what? I, when we're not sure, this is the right model. Do you want to talk to Claire about it? See if Claire thinks it's the right model or not and give the lawyer or, or the, the, the family law professional the confidence to know it's okay to, to put a call out to us. Know it's okay to suggest child inclusive mediation and not worry that they're doing their client a disservice by doing it. And I think in the past there was here a lot of pressure on lawyers to go to court um, because that's what lawyers do. That's what That's what clients want, you know. I'm expecting my day in court. I'm expecting my moment. I'm expecting to win. That's why I hire a lawyer. And actually, a lawyer at that first meeting saying, I think you should go off and talk about it. It Sounds like they don't want to take your case, or it sounds like they don't want to fight your corner for you. And that's the last thing a lawyer wants you to think. But it's instead helping them understand it's not about not fighting their corner or helping them win. It's about making sure they get the right solution for their family and there can be lots of different right solutions and a court might come up with a different solution that they don't think is the right one. So it's instead empowering them to keep control of that solution and helping the lawyers understand that as well because they'll have had numerous court hearings in their careers where the solution a judge has come up with isn't one that anybody in the room thinks is a good one, but the judge at that point did and And then the family have got to come to grips with that and and make it work, or go back to court sometime later, or permanently find themselves in this situation of, of being bouncing in and out of court. And so mediation offers the opportunity for that family to not go through that process and spend the rest of that child's life bouncing around the court system. But instead, to keep coming back to mediation when there are changes or to find a way to communicate so they don't need to come to mediation that they can discuss that however is safe and however is appropriate for them as a family so, so that's why the the uh, training piece is so important for us and why it's been a big part of, of the business that we have set up Um, and same with the mentoring so giving family lawyers an opportunity to be mentored through their career because as a family lawyer there is a huge amount that emotion that you take away from the cases you're dealing with. And family lawyers aren't nine to five lawyers. They're the lawyers that that are always thinking about their cases and are on email all the time. Um, and that's a huge amount of stress on on family lawyers. And those lawyers have got to be ready to do the best thing they can for their clients at the drop of a hat. And and having that support from a mentor who can talk to you about setting boundaries, about making sure that there is an emotional line so that you're not dragged too much in so that you can still see what's right for the client rather than feeling like, you know, you've got to do what they say is a really important part of making sure the family lawyers are trained well and are doing the right thing for them and for their clients. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it absolutely does. And I think I think it is a very important component of the work. Have
1: you seen any impact of these trainings and mentorship programs? Interestingly, we have lots. Um, The the business has been really busy because I think us making ourselves really open and being really honest about how we work and what we do and really available means that we've had lots and lots of lawyers who would never have thought about mediation for their clients just pick up the phone and ask us and talk to us and then recommend mediation be it with us or another mediation firm depending on what clients pick because at the end of the day it's a client's choice as to where they go um but that, that's had a really positive impact. And it's also raising the profile of hybrid mediation generally and child-inclusive mediation, which, as you mentioned earlier, uh, are not so common, that, you know, they're, they're more unique, they're, they're more unusual types of mediation. And if people don't know what they are, there's a nervousness about them. Whereas the more we talk about them, the more training there is, the more they become second nature and the more people will know about them in, in things they've read and things they've seen and friends will have done it. And, and then it becomes second nature.
0: So um, I know you're talking about training that's specific for for legal professionals. I also wonder if you feel that mediators, uh, perhaps in the UK, if you want to talk about that location, if you think they have the right resources and tools to to basically implement child-inclusive mediation and also to identify early on uh, parental alienation and do what's possible to address that and really work in the best interest of the child.
1: And so the good thing here is that it's not possible for you to do child inclusive mediation unless you've gone through quite a vigorous training course. And even those mediators that are child inclusive um, trained still have to keep up that that training. They have to keep up their CPD and make sure that they are staying up to date with the information available. And and so that does mean that those, those mediators that are meeting children have had the training to hopefully give all of the, the right support they can to the child. And if they are concerned that there is something going on, again, they're not a judge. No mediators here are allowed to, to inflict any decisions or make any judgments or decisions and not allowed to write any reports to the court or to anywhere else. It's a without prejudice process. Um, But in meeting a child, if there are concerns, then the next route might be signposting those parents to places to get the right support, to support with family therapy, to support with counselling, to to support with uh, somebody that can help with that alienation, which is perhaps beyond what the mediator can do, because the mediator is there to facilitate the conversation but they haven't got the therapeutic background necessarily to, to help them help that child or those parents overcome that, that bad habit that we've got into or that behavior that, that is causing the problem. So absolutely, it's something that we're always conscious of. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, it's something I talk about in the initial meetings a lot, because early little things that might be said can build into bigger things and what might just be trying to to win a child over a bit or trying to get the child to to be on one parent's side can can grow into alienation quite quickly. And I hope that stepping in early and talking to parents about that nips that in the bud before it gets too far. But sometimes it doesn't. And sometimes I see parents later or families later where the situation has got to a point where I have got concerns and I will start flagging up where other support or other professional assistance might be needed.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. So I think it will be really good advice and information for those parents and even for the ones that have been going through this for years and some of them even more than a decade, to be honest, maybe to give them a bit of, of hope and, you know, a concrete path they can at least start working towards if possible.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I, I've I've had situations where children are a bit older um, and haven't had a relationship with the other parent for a number of years that there is always a little bit of hope on the child's part that things will change. And that sometimes is enough to to get to a point where we can move things forward, even if the other parent doesn't want it to. Because the last thing the parent who's got the day-to-day care is going to want is to alienate the child themselves against themselves. And, And so knowing that a child is expressing wishes to say, well, I don't like what dad did, but I wouldn't mind seeing him for a football game or I wouldn't mind going to wherever although the other parent could say, well, I I don't want you to, actually, that's going to potentially put that relationship they have with the the caring parent, the the day-to-day parent at risk, because suddenly that parent isn't listening to them anymore. Um, And and so the tables can turn quite quickly. and, And that's something that an alienating parent is hopefully aware of.
0: Absolutely. So I know you talked a bit about some of the barriers to, I would say, a healthy resolution for families. And that is kind of the social norm of running immediately to your lawyer and then trying to meet court deadlines and go to court. Um, I think another part of it is is potentially finances, though I would assume in the long term going to court is going to be much more costly than mediation. But maybe the upfront cost of mediation might be a bit more. And I realized that uh, recently the UK government has established a voucher system for mediation, that really encourages uh, families to use mediation as as the first step when they start talking about separation and divorce. So it would be great if you could tell us a bit about the scheme because it's the first time I've ever heard of of such a scheme, and 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 what how you think it's going um, from from your perspective.
1: So, so the scheme was announced um, March twenty twenty one, and has been extended several times because so far the research is really good and the success rate is good. Um, and the scheme is offering £500 towards the cost of joint mediation meetings for parents who are discussing the arrangements for their children. And that's, is non-means tested, so not capital or income tested in any way. It's for any parents. They can only have one voucher, um, but the voucher is there to basically pay for the first and possibly the second meeting. And what that does is give a lot of parents who might be concerned about the finances, who might be worried about how useful mediation is going to be, or who might be thinking, well, look, that's, why would I want to spend Two or three hundred pounds on a mediation meeting that's that's an hour with my lawyer. I prefer an hour with my lawyer, and actually, if that meeting has been offered free, they can see actually there's a chance of progress. They can be at the meeting, they can see if it works or it doesn't. They can see what they like about it or what they don't like about it, and they can explore the different types so they can see if the hybrid model is better or the child inclusive model or online or face to face as a mediation and so that the voucher scheme is giving people and encouraging people to give it a go. And actually the research, and they're they're collating research all the time and the scheme has been extended recently again. And at the moment we are several thousand vouchers that have been given out, which is great. Um, But the research that came out towards the end of last year was suggesting that 77% of people who had had one of these vouchers given to them had partial or complete agreement because of that voucher. So the voucher and the mediation process meant that 77% of people who got the voucher ended up not having to go to court. Now, if you think that a lot of those people would have gone to court as their first point, they they might have had to have an initial meeting with a mediator before they could issue the court hearing, but they see that as a a formality. They have to have a one-off meeting and then they can issue their court application here. and their lawyers said they need to issue a court application. Whereas if they're being told that the first or second meeting is free and that they can have the court process running in the background, that's absolutely fine. It's not going to delay things for them. It just gives an opportunity to have a different route to take. 77% of people have found that that different route to take worked. Now, to me, that that's great. That really shows how many people we can keep out of the family court and how many parents we can help to co-parent if, if we have the financial support for them. And sometimes it is because mediation does feel really expensive. And there is legal aid in this country for mediation in certain circumstances. But for a lot of people, they just find it an extra cost that they can't afford. And particularly when cost of living is going up, mediation feels like an expensive cost. But just like you say, if you compare that to the cost of court proceedings, it's a drop in the ocean. And where we might be talking about the cost being over two or three weeks or two or three months... The, the legal cost you're talking about going on for months and months, if not into years. And okay, it might be a, a similar cost for those two or three months as it would be to be instructing your lawyer and chatting to your lawyer. But actually, you're getting to a resolution much quicker, which means those costs are going to end. And potentially in the hybrid model, you've got a court order at the end of a day or the end of an afternoon. And you don't have to worry about it. That's an emotional cost that we we can bin. That's a financial cost that we can bin. That's us getting on with our lives and moving on with the next chapter. And just even having that initial meeting and having an opportunity to talk to parents about that together and empower them to both be able to make those decisions. You can see how the voucher just gets people in to help them understand it a bit more when they might have been a bit, well, why would I want to spend £200 on a meeting? Why would I want to to you know, spend two hours of my life doing this, I may as well go off and wait for court. And that's actually quite a short term consideration because going off to court is going to be potentially six weeks, three months to a first court hearing, maybe six months, nine months to a second court hearing, maybe a year to 18 months to two years to a final court hearing. And perhaps starting off that court process, being aware of that timetable And and having an opportunity to go, I don't want to wait that long. I don't think that's best for our children. I don't think that's good for either of us. What can we do to avoid it? The voucher gives them a really good way to say, look, let's give it a go. We're not, it's not going to cost us to try.
0: I think that's just amazing that the government has decided to do that. And I really love that they're actually then researching the impact. I think that is key. And I hope that you know other countries will, will look at that impact and consider implementing such a system. I, uh, if any of our listeners happen to be going through a divorce or a separation in the UK, how can they apply for this?
1: So, so any va- any uh, mediator can apply for the voucher on your behalf. They just have to be registered. And all you need to do is when you contact a mediator to say, are you registered for the mediation voucher scheme? And as long as both parents give their consent to apply for the voucher, and that's just an email consenting with standard wording, then the voucher is applied for as long as we're talking about the arrangements for children. Both parents have had a MIAM, so an individual meeting, and the mediator confirms that, and that neither of them have had the voucher before. So it's a really quick, easy process to apply for. As long as they don't run out, they keep extending them, which is great. So we have to keep hope they keep extending them. Um, The news is at the moment they are, so that's good. But it's just to say, ring up a mediator or or go on to the um, mediation association and look for mediators and just contact them and say, we'd, we'd like to apply for mediation voucher. Are you registered? And as long as they say yes, then you're good to go.
0: Great. Great. Sounds very easy. It is. So um, as, you, as you probably know, many of our listeners are either alienated parents or parents who have had their children abducted domestically or, or internationally. In your opinion, is it too late for them to seek mediation? What would be your advice to them when it comes to mediation?
1: I never say it's too late and always say to try because you've got very little to lose in trying as long as there's not going to be harm to either as a child or to either of the parents by doing that. And by that, I mean, either a physical or an emotional harm. Quite often, mediation is trying to unlock whatever the issue was, whatever the fear was, whatever the concern was that led to the incident. And if that is um, a child being moved away, um, if that is a child being alienated, it's fear of you know, the child picking the other parent. And, and sometimes just flagging those issues up to the parents in a mediation meeting. And as I say, a hybrid mediation meeting might be an option if we're worried that one parent perhaps has more control than the other parent and we need support from a lawyer. There's nothing to lose in trying. And sometimes you just see some magic happen where somebody goes, Oh, I didn't realise. Oh, oh, OK, I didn't know that was the impact on the child. I thought I was doing the right thing. And they genuinely did. They they hadn't seen the harm that was being caused. And so I would always say try. Um, as long as it's safe, give it a give it a go. And it's never too late. As as we talked about earlier, it's better if we do it earlier, but it's never too late, particularly for the child inclusive mediation. There may be a lot that a child is holding inside that they haven't said to anybody and giving them an opportunity to just say it out loud and know that it's not going to have any consequences for them. Nobody's going to be cross with them for saying those things might just make one parent sit up and listen or might help the two parents come to a conclusion they couldn't have come to without that.
0: So for many of those parents, I think the biggest obstacle is basically convincing the other parent um, to, to join the mediation so what kind of like strategy or advice or even messages do you think they could be sharing with that parent to try and convince them that it's worth trying out mediation?
1: Yes, yeah, so, so the, the research about the impact on children, if we have a difficult co-parenting relationship is all available online. There's a huge amount of information on that on both the, the web and also in the, the guide I mentioned about the impact we can create for our children if we don't do things positively and if we do things that create harm for our children. And so just making the other parent realize that this is bigger than a war between two parents and that the children shouldn't be in the middle, but they should be put first. Although a parent's not going to like to hear that, hopefully that will make them appraise what they're doing and make them think about it again. And sharing as much information that is available, that there's neutral information, you know, like the resolution guide I mentioned earlier, will hopefully just make a parent go, okay, well, I think you're doing this and and that could be improved, but I think you're doing this, we could both improve. If we do too much blame, then, then parents tend not to want to come because they don't want to come and feel like they're always being told they're wrong by the other parent. But if we say we could do this better, we could work on this better, we could find a better solution for the sake of our child and send that research and that information across, that could be really helpful.
0: Absolutely. So it's really that parent also modeling the type of behavior and communication that they want from the other parents.
1: Yeah. For, for the sake of the children and why. It, it's the why that can sometimes be the most powerful part. We don't want to be lectured to. We don't want to be told we're wrong. There's nothing worse than one parent who thinks they're doing really well being told by the other parent that they're not and feeling like that's a constant put down and a constant criticism. And actually, the other parent is thinking, well, that's because you're not letting me see the child and that that therefore I need to let you know why what you're doing is not right. But actually, what we're not saying is that it should be that someone's picking who's right between those parents. Instead, it should be, OK, what can those parents do to work together better? What can we both do to recognize that we, we parent in different ways or we both think there are different things that are important for our child? How can we be respectful of the other parent? How can we make sure that the child has the best they possibly can from both of us uh, without any alienation, without the risk of abduction, or if a child has already been abducted, what can be done to make sure that that relationship can continue in some way? What can we do to try and make sure that that child knows the other parent's there, the other parent wants to be part of their life, and and what what can work for that child? And as I say, the child-inclusive mediation option gives that child a voice in the process.
0: Absolutely. So as you again may know, many of our listeners are actually not based in the UK. They could be based in many countries around the world. So if any of them wanted to explore mediation, um, what kind of advice would you give them when they're looking for a potential mediator in in whatever country that may be?
1: Yes, so, so being a mediator really is about being able to inform parents so give them the information they need to make the right decisions not give legal advice but to give legal information Um, to facilitate the conversation so to to be able to talk to both parents calmly and and considerately and without any judgment and impartially and then to help them reach a resolution and so just having initial conversations with a couple of different mediators you'll get a feeling about how they work you'll get a feeling about what they sound like, how focused they are on the children or how focused they are on finances or whatever their focus might be. And you'll think, do I like, do I like the sound of them? Would I like to work with them? And you're talking to them about the most important thing in your life. You know, when we're talking about our children, that's all we want to talk about. That's the the most important thing. And so we're trusting the mediator to have those conversations with us and we have to like the way they work, understand them and respect what they do and the training they have. And so a couple of conversations with different mediators and the other parent having the same conversations and the two of you coming to a decision together about which mediator you both think is is one that you like the sound of. Preferably a a mediator that has experience in in dealing with these issues, because obviously the more experience they have, they might have seen some some different stalemates in the past and different issues in the past have different suggestions, um, different ways to navigate us out or signpost us out of of any of those problems. But really, it is making sure that you trust the mediator, you both are, are content with the mediator, and both of you are going in open to trying to find a solution. Sometimes we have a situation where one person suggests a mediator and the other one feels they have to say yes. And they come to mediation already with a wall up. You know, it's your mediator. It was your choice of mediator. Whereas if we can come up with a list of a couple of mediators that we like, we suggest this list to the other person and they get to pick. Then we come into the mediation in quite an equal territory. We're quite equal about that. We we selected the mediator together. We both like the sound of the mediator. And we can start this on a very neutral level footing.
0: that makes absolute sense. So I just want to thank you, Claire. You've given a lot of great advice to our listeners and I think shared a lot of information um, about mediation and how how we need to consider the child's voice during that process, etc. So my last question would be, um, if any parents, uh, professionals or any other interested parties want to follow the work you're doing and stay in touch with you and family mediation mentoring, how can they do so?
1: We have a website which is www.familymediationandmentoring.co.uk, and there's lots of information about the different types of mediation we do and how we work on there. But you can also follow us on all of the social media. We're everywhere: we're Instagram, we're Twitter, and we're Facebook, we're LinkedIn, we're YouTube. So we're we're everywhere you can imagine. And our handle is normally family M and M. So you'll find us on Instagram and Twitter there, and you'll if you search for us on uh, LinkedIn. Um, or on YouTube, you'll find our YouTube channel, which has got some videos about the different types of mediation, about what to think about when you're first separating, about how to deal with teenagers when we're divorcing, because teenagers might react a bit differently to younger children. So there are just some helpful videos on there that hopefully will, will give some support and some information, which I hope will be useful to your listeners.
0: I would remind everybody that's listening today that the goal of this podcast is to share knowledge with you and to let you know that you're not alone. With that said, if you need any specific legal advice, we do recommend reaching out to a qualified legal practitioner for that advice. If you're a minor or perhaps don't understand certain parts of this episode, please do reach out to a responsible adult or someone who can explain the episode to you. We've done our best to make sure that this episode doesn't offend anybody. Of course, if you have any questions or comments, you are more than welcome to reach out to me anytime at danielle.daura at findmyparent.org. If you are, have been separated from your parent, or perhaps someone you know has been separated from their parent, please go to our website, findmyparent.org, where you can start the search today for your missing parent. With the help of our artificial intelligence technology, you can be matched and reunited with your parent or child. If you're part of an NGO, a private company, or any other type of organization that is passionate about this topic... Please get in touch with us on our website as well. We would love to work together to create a greater impact. Okay, everybody, that's it for this week. We hope to speak to you next week. Until then, take care. You can be just like
1: me. You're a double. All you have to do is ask to see your family. You have so much to see. I